Que la paz de Cristo sea con usted y con su familia. May the peace of Christ be with you and your family. And I just want to say that it is a joy for me to be able to be here this morning, not because I'm a preacher, I'm not, I'm a nurse, <laughs> but because this church has walked alongside the Spanish health ministry from the very, very beginning. And I am very grateful for your support financially, your support in prayer, and the many volunteers who have come out of this church, including Janet Johnson, who we were reminiscing. She started in the office in 1997. And I also think of Lois Aldrich, who came out of this church and volunteered for 30 years. And actually, your church, the women approached me when I was still a public health nurse and had not started the Spanish health ministry yet. And they said, please come and tell us about this new Hispanic population in our area and how can we help them? You've been concerned about how you could be in mission work for as long as I've known you, which is almost 50 years. And you know, you as a church have responded to the immigrants in our area who've come to work in the mushroom industry. And I believe probably most of you know we're the mushroom capital of the world. And that brought originally Puerto Ricans to the area. And then the Mexicans found out they could work in mushrooms and they started coming. And now we have immigrants from all over South and Central America in the area that are here. But this scripture that I have chosen to read this morning is very, very important to me, along with other scriptures in the Old and New Testament, where God challenges, challenges his people, you and I, those of us who call ourselves Christian, to respond to the aliens that are in our midst. And not all churches have responded like Kenneth Presbyterian has. Um, I've had elders from churches come to me and say, you don't help anybody who's illegal, do you? If they're not documented, you don't help them. And I thought, whoa, that wasn't one of my prerequisites if a woman's pregnant or has a sick child whether or not she is legal or illegal. But it made me question, God, am I not doing what you want me to do? And I went to scripture. And this scripture in Deuteronomy, Moses is challenging God's people that are going to be crossing over into the promised land, what they are to do when they get there. And I believe there's a challenge to us as God's people today, what he wants us to be doing. And this also says why we are to do it. So listen with me to the word of God as it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 31, beginning with verse 9. Then Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the priests the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. 
Moses commanded them, every seventh year in the scheduled year of remission, during the festival of booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you should read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, as well as the aliens residing in your towns. Why? So that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and to observe diligently all the words of this law and so that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are crossing over the Jordan to possess. This is the word of the Lord. And this is just one scripture where God challenges us as his people to respond to the orphans, the widows, and the newer versions say aliens. If you read the King James, it may say stranger or foreigner in our midst. And even though I spent time in both Spain and Ecuador, and if God had told me to stay there, I would have gladly stayed, he brought me right back home. I'm from Coatesville. <laughs> Grew up selling Girl Scout cookies to the mushroom farm across from my house. <laughs> but he had a mission field right here at home that I wasn't even aware of. And in the beginning, it was all Puerto Ricans that I was working with, and they are US citizens. But then the Mexicans discovered the mushroom industry and they started arriving. And many of them did come undocumented and didn't have legal status here. But in 1986, uh, the government did pass an amnesty law for agricultural workers. And so many of those men were able to become legalized. And the first thing they did was then to try and bring their wives and their children. And the population really grew and really expanded as the mushroom industry expanded. Uh, we would not be the mushroom capital of the world without these people here picking the mushrooms. And when I was working at the county health department, it was five years of learning what was in my own area and finding these people who back then lived behind the mushroom farms or up in an apartment. I went into places that were very strange to find these folks who needed help medically, especially women who were pregnant. Now it's out in the open that we have all kinds of Hispanic stores and restaurants and all that. That wasn't true uh, in the beginning. And that's why your women were asking me, where, where are these people and how can we help them? Um, one thing that God made very clear to me is that he wanted me to be sharing the Lord Jesus Christ with my patients, not just helping them medically. And when I worked for the government, even then, God would open up doors as I would visit with pregnant women. And, you know, they were very gracious to have a nurse come to visit them. Everybody knows what a nurse is. 
and I never had anybody turn me away from their door. When I was 10 years old and felt called to mission work, and I went to the altar at my home church in Coatesville, um, as I, as a 10-year-old, knelt at the altar, I felt God saying to me, Donna, I want you to be a nurse, a medical missionary, because they can get in where other folks can't. And that has been my story for 47 years, being a nurse here in this area. Everybody knows what the nurse is. And you know, I would work with these young ladies who were having their first baby, and they had nobody here to help them, and they were scared. And you know, when you had a child, your first one, you liked having your mother around, or your sister, or aunt, somebody who could help you. And so they were very grateful for my help. And they would say to me, Miss Donna, you, have, you know so much about babies. How many do you have? And I'd say, well, I'm single. No, but how many babies do you have? <laughs> I was like, well, since I'm single, I don't have any children. Oh, and there'd be silence. Uh, don't you want to get married? You want a Mexican? Fastest way to get legal. And I had the opportunity to share that I have given my life to Jesus Christ and felt called of him to remain single so that I could serve them. And they still ask me the questions, but they don't ask me that one anymore. <laughs> but God opened up doors to share about the Lord Jesus. But it was very limited at the health department. And after five years there, God led me as a young nurse to step out in faith and to leave that job. And I didn't know that he was going to have me start a ministry. I assumed I would join another mission. And various missions wanted me because I was a bilingual nurse, but they were going to take me someplace else. And God had shown me that he wanted me here in southern Chester County. And through the Koinonia Christian Ministries, right up the street here, you may, some of you may remember Koinonia Bookstore was there. Rod and Ruth Ann Brooks offered me first a room where I could have an office, and then offered me the legal status that I could come under the umbrella of Koinonia Christian Ministries and start a 501c3, which I have to be honest, at the age of 28, I didn't even know what that was, <laughs> but God did. And I marveled how he had things prepared. And I left my job the end of November, and the Spanish health ministry was up and running by April. And ever since, that's April 1980, God has opened doors for us to help families who have special needs medically. That year, the hospital opened up a prenatal clinic in the southern part of the county. They realized that pregnant women were not getting care because they couldn't get to Westchester because of no public transportation from our area. And they came to me and said, Donna, we really need you to work in this clinic because there's so many Spanish women arriving and we want you to translate. And I talked to the board of the ministry and we decided that that would be a good fit. I spoke Spanish, they were absolutely right, they needed a bilingual nurse. I also had studied to be a midwife when I was in Ecuador 
And so prenatal care was one of my specialties. And they said, Donna, you can try it if it doesn't work out. Um, you don't have to stay. It was only for one afternoon a week, and it lasted for 40 years. <laughs> and it was God's way of, first of all, helping me to get to know the families when the women were pregnant, but also Chester County Hospital was a pro-life hospital. And most people did not know that. Perry Pepper was president of the hospital, and he did not permit abortions. But he also then wanted to be sure that there were adequate prenatal services for the women to get prenatal care. And Chester County Hospital has had a prenatal clinic uh, since the late 50s and early 60s to help all women get prenatal care and to get it in a pro-life stance. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And it's very um, good that I'm talking on this Sunday because I've worked with many women who've had handicapped children and chose not to abort them. But I have my own personal story that it's made me think about. And actually, I've not shared this ever, but I decided this morning that because it's Sanctity of Life Sunday, it made me think about my own birth. My mother was what we say advanced maternal aged when she got pregnant with me. <laughs> I was a surprise. My parents, who were faithful, strong Christians, had three boys. They were 9, 13, and 16. And then there was this surprise pregnancy. <laughs> and I don't know the medical details, but my mother was critically ill through that pregnancy. And she was so ill that the doctors decided they better do a cesarean section, even though my brothers had all been born normally. They were very concerned that my mother would live through my birth. They were so concerned that my mother would live that the doctors asked our pastor to be in the operating room praying while they delivered me. Can you imagine that happening today? They asked our pastor to be praying in the operating room. And my mother did almost die. She was in the hospital for a month and was literally at death's doorstep. And many prayers were offered up for her. And God did save her life. I was fine. <laughs> she wouldn't let them take me home from the nursery because she didn't think she'd ever get to see me again. Um, when I was only nine months old, my mother had a massive heart attack and was again hospitalized for six weeks. And before I ever got to school, she had a stroke. But she never lost her faith in Christ and continued to pray for this little girl that she didn't think she was going to get to raise. And I've often thought of that as I worked with high-risk pregnant women. If my mother was pregnant today, what do you think most doctors would say to her? You want to save your life, you better abort this child, right? I thank God that 71 years ago, there were doctors who instead asked for prayer. 
And I wish more doctors would do that today. My mom lived until my 37th birthday. <laughs> and when she did pass away, my dad said, Donna, God gave us 37 years we didn't think we were going to have. And I get to work with patients who are so sick at birth that doctors don't think they're going to live either. Um, one young man, Jesus, was born without part of his cerebellum. And it tells your body what to do. And he couldn't breathe at night. His body didn't know how to sleep and breathe at the same time. And he had severe apnea. And he would stop breathing 150 to 175 times every night. His dad had to resuscitate him when he was a year old. One of the hard things I had to translate for Jesus' parents, and his name is Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, the doctor said, we think he's only going to live six months to a year because of this lack of breathing. Well, February 3rd, Jesus is going to be 18. <laughs> and he has grown. And if, if his mother were here today, she would tell you how having Jesus, a special needs child, brought her to the Lord. And I am grateful that as I do the nursing with some very difficult situations, I get to share Jesus Christ with my patients. You know, most mothers, if they have a handicapped child, they're blaming themselves and thinking, what did I do wrong? Why is God punishing me that I've had this sick child? And I love to take them back to Psalm 139, um, that God knows us from the moment of our conception and that he has a plan for our life. And it's not that they've done anything wrong necessarily at all. And I can't change that Jesus was born with this rare syndrome, but if I can help his family to find peace in Christ, that will change their lives. And it's been amazing to work with them and to see how they've grown, both mom and dad, in their faith. I want to talk about one young lady because things have changed. Obviously, when I started working with the Hispanic community, it was a very young community. And I was very young. Now the community has aged, and so have I. <laughs> and there's different needs. And as I've worked with these families with handicapped children, the medical system has been able to do incredible things with them. And these children are living beyond what anybody ever thought. Uh, one little boy that I'm working with right now, he's seven years old, he was born without the left side of his heart. There's no left side of his heart. And he was rushed to DuPont Hospital at birth, and. Uh, they struggled to help him. He's had three major heart surgeries, and he also had a stroke after one of the surgeries. The doctors can't believe he's alive, and he's cute as a button, a little whippersnapper. And his mom, through working with this sick child, has come back to the Lord. And she's teaching little Jose to sing to the Lord and to pray. And being able to help her in this very complex, it's some of the most complex medical translation I've ever done. 
the medical system is able to do many, many things now that wasn't possible 20, 30 years ago. And I wanted to mention about Paula. Paula's 23 years old. And she actually was not born here. She was born in Mexico where she got no care. Her mother tried to get care. She couldn't find out what was wrong with her daughter. And dad worked 10 years to legalize his wife and children, to bring them here. 10 years it took. And I was called by the pediatrician because they knew no English. Dad didn't know how to drive and they needed to get this child down to DuPont Hospital. And so I started driving. Paula is the little girl and her mom and dad to DuPont Hospital, uh, which started 20 years of lots of care, special care. And I remember the doctor, the very first visit we had, explaining that he was going to have to do surgery on Paula's legs. She was three and a half. And because she had had no therapy, her legs were scissored and crossed, and he was going to have to do a minor surgery to release them. And I can remember Dad standing in the corner, looking so distraught. Here he had worked so hard to bring his family up here, but it still wasn't soon enough to get all the care that Paula needed. That same doctor, when she turned 11, did a huge back surgery on Paula. Her scoliosis went to 90 degrees overnight when she hit puberty. And none of her organs, we couldn't feed her well. She has to be fed through a feeding tube. And she was in pain all of the time. And the doctor had to explain to us, if you don't do this surgery, she will eventually die because of all these complications. But if you do do the surgery, she could die on the table because she was so weak. I'm having to translate this to her parents. And I remember going out to the car and I'm thinking, Lord, Paula's too weak to live. But God gave those parents strength to say, we have to try this. Well, within two weeks, Paula was like a new person. They put two rods in her back from her neck all the way down to her bottom, 24 screws, straightened her up. Guess what? Her other organs started to function well. And it was amazing, the change in her within two weeks. And God protected her from all of the things that could have gone wrong. And that family... Mom, when she, her daughter would have surgeries, her, her mom would take a Bible with her. And I remember Bonnie, my assistant who speaks Spanish, Bonnie Martin, uh, her husband has his law office right next door. Um, Bonnie came back from the first surgery, having taken mom and translating for her, said, Donna Rosario has a Bible, and she reads it. Now, first of all, most of my patients do not have Bibles and many of them have a very limited reading ability. Uh, third grade would be the typical, and they have great difficulty reading. So this was very unusual with Rosadio actually having a Bible and reading it. And so we thought maybe this couple would like to go to a Bible conference with us. And I think you folks know that once a year we go to America's Keswick in New Jersey to a Spanish Bible conference. 
And when we invited this family to go with this very handicapped child, uh, they accepted right away. Oh, they would love to go to this Bible conference. Now, you need to know that's not always the typical response. Some people are afraid of this evangelical nurse and would never agree to go to an evangelical Bible conference. And I have been in many homes where on the door is a bronze plaque that says in Spanish, we are Roman Catholic and we want no Protestant propaganda. And there's a picture of the Virgin Mary. And when I'd read that, I'm thinking, I'm not coming with Protestant propaganda. I'm coming with Jesus. And people let me in because they need the nurse. And as I get to minister to them when they're in these crises, then God opens up the doors to share what Jesus Christ has done for me and what he wants to do for them. So this couple, they've been going to the Bible conference with us uh, for 15 years and love it. And when I started my Bible study in the office, I had women come to me and say, Donna, would you do a Bible study for us? They came to me. That's how it started. And Rosario was one of the first ones to come, and she's still coming to this day. In fact, I hope you will pick up at the back, there is our Christmas prayer letter, and Janet kindly made copies of it. And there's pictures of Paula and her mom and dad and her sister, Nicole, and a little bit more about her history. But as Paula was aging at DuPont Hospital, they said to me, Donna, are you going to be able to continue working with her? And I said, well, everything I've done has been in pediatrics. We're very blessed to have wonderful pediatric hospitals very close, both DuPont Hospital for Children, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And I had to translate to these families as their kids are aging, these handicapped children, how everything changes. There's all kinds of legal changes when they turn 18. And when they turn 21, they can no longer go for pediatric care. And here Paula has been getting incredible care for 20 years at DuPont, and they have literally saved her life. And that same doctor who did those surgeries on her, he had to explain to mom, it's gonna be really hard to find an orthopedic doctor who will be willing to even look at Paula because of her concerns physically. She's a quadriplegic, she has a feeding tube, she has seizures, she cannot talk, and she's totally dependent. And when she turned 21, we needed to find, to begin with, a new family doctor, a GI doctor to take care of the feeding tube, a neurologist to take care of the seizures. That was just a start, to find three doctors who were accepting new patients and all accepting her insurance. Folks, if you're involved with the medical system at all, I'm sure you can appreciate that was not an easy task. And then the pandemic hit, and a lot of services that would have been there for her 
and other handicapped children closed. And what was difficult before the pandemic became almost impossible with the pandemic to get the care that they need. And so Bonnie and I have had to learn a whole new system after dealing with pediatrics for so many years. We've had to learn how can we help these families get the care that they need for their special needs children now that they are young adults. And folks, it's tough. You realize how easy it is with the children's hospital, everything's right there. We get all their equipment there, everything's right there. I take Paola down to Lankanal Hospital to see a rehab doctor. We just last week finally found a doctor who was willing to do Botox shots. Have you heard of people getting Botox because the wrinkles in their face? Well, she has very spastic hands and they want to inject Botox in the wrist to relax the muscles. Um, this is not good that they're bent like this and I can't even imitate her, they're so bad. We called over 20 doctors before we found one that would accept her insurance and do Botox in her wrists. And just last week, um, her parents and I, we went to Moss Rehabilitation Hospital. And they are willing to work with her. Now, unfortunately, Dad has to miss work to get her all the way down there. But they're very grateful to have finally found a doctor who's willing to help them. I'm telling you this because our work at the Spanish Health Ministry has grown and has changed as these children are now young adults. And, but God is showing us a way. You know, it's very easy for me to say to Rosadio, oh, you need to trust the Lord and then she can't find care for her daughter. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, what do we do? How can we help them? And it's been a challenge for us to know how to help them to get the care. But just as we're grateful that you have been willing to walk alongside the Spanish Health Ministry so that we can be there, we're grateful that we can walk alongside these families and help them maneuver through the system. In the Christmas letter, which I do hope you will pick up, I talk about how we've seen God's image in these young people who are handicapped. And that's been really thrilling to see. Because Paula can't go to school anymore, she's graduated, there's no program for her, Mom brings her to Bible study on Friday mornings. I have a ladies Bible study every Friday morning. And uh, the one Friday, she just loves, Paula loves when we sing and sing for the Lord. And she was just beaming and all of a sudden she started crying. And we said, why is she crying? And mom said, you were singing about Jesus' death. And she started to cry. And the ladies all said, wow, Paula understands. And I had to explain to Paula very simply that, yes, Jesus did die, but he rose again to save us from our sins. And that smile returned on her face. And that's just one example of how we see these special needs young adults and kids. They may not have minds and bodies functioning like yours and mine, but they're still created in the image of God. 
and God still has a purpose for their lives. And it has been an honor and a privilege for us to work with these families and to help them get the medical care that they need, but also the spiritual encouragement. I would ask you to continue to pray for the Spanish health ministry. Um, I will admit that it has been very difficult to find new volunteers and staff, people like Janet, who first of all believed in our statement of faith and conduct and wanted to be part of a biblically-based ministry. Uh, people like that are hard to find today. And we are firm that we're here on the word of God. So I'd ask you to pray for us, because we could use help. Um, but God has been faithful for these almost 43 years. If anybody had told me 43 years ago, Donna, you're going to be busier than ever when you're old, <laughs> I would have never dreamed that we would still be needed. And I know that God knows what the future holds for us. And, you know, you were here. We had our 20th anniversary in this sanctuary. We had it 22 years ago, <laughs> but it was right here. We had our first Bible school here. Um, so I have many fond memories of Kennett Square Presbyterian Church, uh, but I'm so grateful for your Christian witness here in Kennett Square and your willingness to reach out to our neighbors. Thank you so much, and may God continue to bless and to use you as a minister here in Kennett Square.